thinking about names today. We're ordaining and installing deacons, so they are getting a new name. Many of us have taken on the name of Christian or Christ follower, so we think about that. There was a jogger who noticed a large poster tacked to a tree in her neighborhood. The first word that caught her eye was the big word, reward. And so, of course, she had to read on and said, $100. And as Luis Badillo tells it, the jogger was interested, so she read that there's a black and tan dog of poodle and German shepherd descent, flea-bitten, missing a hind leg, nearly blind, torn right ear, answers to the name of Lucky. <laughs> lucky doesn't sound so lucky, except for the fact that someone is willing to pay $100 to get the dog back home. Well, you know that names mean something. Perhaps you have a, a name of endearment for someone. Sweetheart or honey or Shug. And then there are other names like dummy and idiot that alienate us. In his New Testament letter, James talks about the huge power that we carry in our little tiny tongues. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. Well, with wildfires going on around our nation, we think about how they start with a small spark. And we think then about the power of our tongues. With our tongues, we give names which play a prominent part in today's gospel. Jesus first asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And oddly to us, they name dead prophets, John the Baptist and Elijah, two heroes of their faith. And these were big names, especially Elijah, for whom at Passover Seder's today, still there is always an empty chair available for Elijah. I tried to relate that to what I would say, you know, as a, who are the heroes of my faith? Well, one maybe not as great hero as the main one would be St. Francis for me. Or the other one who is the greatest hero would be Jesus Christ. During the summer, we were at a tidal creek near Myrtle Beach and we found out how hard it is to swim upstream when the tide is rushing out. And the men then named by these disciples were prophetic heroes who swam upstream when the tide of society was rushing out. Even for us, it would be no disappointment to hear that we are being compared to John the Baptist or Elijah. But Jesus pushes beyond the public opinion poll 
and asks the disciples another more probing question. But who do you say that I am? Now that first word in that little question, but, acknowledges that the public opinion polls are wrong. Now Jesus is getting personal. Who do you say that I am? A man called a church office one day and said, Can I please speak to the head hog at the trough? The secretary was highly offended and said, If you mean the pastor, then you may refer to him as pastor or reverend, but you certainly may not refer to him as the head hog at the trough. And the man said, Well, I was planning on giving $50,000 to your church's building fund, but... And the woman, the secretary says, Oh, hold on, the big fat pig just walked in. Her name shifted with the situation, right? So does our name for Jesus shift with the situation? Who do we say Jesus is? As James in chapter 3 of his letter continues to reveal to us the power of the tongue, he says, we can tame every creature on earth, but we can't tame the savage tongue. With it, he says, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. Our tongues can be capricious, sometimes blessing, sometimes cursing, like an excited fan at a football game. Sometimes saying words that imply love and devotion, and other times spitting out words that slice into one's soul more painfully than a knife. Who do you say that I am? says Jesus. How do you name me? Impetuous Peter responds first with the powerful and stark confession. You remember? You are the Messiah. Peter gives Jesus a new name. And so then do you hear the crowd roar? Do you see the confetti fall? Do you find yourself agape at this realization that the Messiah for whom you had been waiting for all these years is finally come and with him the freedom you so long for? We want to just stop here and enjoy the moment. To a first century Jew... The name Messiah, for many of them, conjured up images of armor and spears and dominance. People who are oppressed always wish for justice, and probably not just for justice, but for the tables to be turned so that the powerful become powerless and the underdogs win the game for for once. Possibly a little like Marshall as they walked on the field at Virginia Tech yesterday. Sorry, Bill. (laughs) As much as we want to enjoy this image of Messiah, the dominant one, Jesus pushes us quickly away. 
Immediately after Peter's confession, he sternly orders them not to tell anyone about him. It is so strange. In Mark, that's called the messianic secret. He's, he's keeping quiet about some things. But Jesus must know that while Peter knows a little about what the name Messiah means, there's a major part that he doesn't understand. And so Jesus informs them, like someone pushing you into a pool of cold water, that the name Messiah does not mean that kind of power. Messiah instead means suffering and rejection, and death, and resurrection? Did Peter like hearing Jesus challenge his view of what Messiah should be? Of course not. So he takes Jesus aside and tries to straighten him out. That's an amusing picture to me, taking Jesus aside and saying, you're wrong. But Jesus stands his ground. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Peter has called Jesus a name, Messiah. And now Jesus calls Peter a name. Which one would you choose? Messiah, Satan. Adversary, he means. Tempter. But again, Jesus receives this, and then at the beginning of his ministry, sorry, like at the beginning of his ministry, he doesn't allow this adversary to tempt him away from his vocation, from his goal of being God's servant. So the disciples may try to be climbing out of this cold pool of reality, but Jesus pushes them back in with these powerful words. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. So we have another name. Follower. Is that a name that we want to wear? Are we willing to put on that name like a shawl so that other people can see it? To proclaim that name in public even when we realize that doesn't mean an easy life? The name Christ follower doesn't mean shortcuts to joy and peace. It doesn't mean automatic healing when we're sick. It's so much of what our culture and society don't stand for. It's suffering, it's rejection, it's the pain of a cross. During his reign in the early 1800s, King Frederick William III of Prussia found himself in trouble As wars had been costly, they were short of finances, they didn't want to capitulate to the enemy. And so he decided to ask the women of Prussia to bring their jewelry of gold and silver to be melted down for the sake of the country. For each ornament that he received, he would exchange a decoration of bronze or iron 
as a symbol of his gratitude. And each of these would be inscribed, I gave gold for iron, 1813. The response was overwhelming. And even more importantly, these women prized their gifts from the king more highly than they had their former jewelry. And the reason is that the decorations were proof that they had sacrificed for their king. And it actually became unfashionable to wear jewelry. And around that time then was established the Order of the Iron Cross. Members wore no ornamentation, no ornaments at all, except for a cross of iron for all to see. And the parallel here is that when Christians come to our king, we exchange the flourishes of our former lives for a cross, knowing that it's not comfortable, that it could be painful, and yet we have then the hope of the resurrection towards which we walk. Now, I don't see that as only resurrection at the end of our lives, but each day. Each day is new. Each day has offerings for us and opportunities for us to sacrifice for our King.